hello, everybody, and welcome to the Comedy Film Nerds podcast. On the road. On the road in a beautiful hotel room. In New York City. New York City. Uh, you're hearing jackhammers in the background, probably, and we will not be able to edit that out. So. No, we won't. And uh, good no luck matter where this. you go to New York, that's you're going to hear them. And this episode is luckily not in smell-o-vision. Because New York is the city of what's that smell? Oh, <laughs> yes. We've had so many wonderful smells. Uh, yeah, we've been here. Um, we were at Keith and the Girl earlier today doing their podcast, and we had uh, then we recorded a, the Martian spoiler rap. Yep, a little disappointed on their take on it. Wow, they didn't like it at all. No. You gotta hear them, but they have funny ways of making fun of it. So They sure did. So, yeah. So listen to that episode. If it's not out already, it will be soon. And then later today, we're screening uh, earbuds at Squarespace. Yes. Um, so let's bring on. This is a first-time guest, which is um, very odd because he's been a writer for us from the beginning, from day one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very elusive, JD Salinger-esque yeah. uh, type writer. Um, he, yeah, he's um, a, a recluse, I believe, <laughs> <laughs> a hermit, or maybe yeah. he's on the lamb. Yeah. So we we are in the, we're in a witness protection program mm-hmm. house somewhere. But uh, then we're we're here in New York. We're like, well, we. We have to we have record to. A, an episode with him. He has uh, one, two chapters? One chapter One in chapter the in the book. Um, and uh, we've both known him for years. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to this hotel room in Manhattan, yes. <laughs> Lord Corette. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Um, so, by the way, even for a podcast, you have perfect hair. That's what's it. Thank you very much. I do try. Yeah. It's a rainy day, but I managed to get here. <laughs> I know. It's, it's raining, and it's just an audio podcast. Lord Corrette's like, fuck it. I'm gonna if I saw you with messy hair, I would turn around and leave. Right? I'd be like, nah. Yeah, well, I have the pompadour going on, and it's really long right now, because lately I've been wearing it more like the Beatles. Uh, people don't realize that the pompadour was what the Beatles had back in the Hamburg days. Yeah. And then they were hanging out with, um, like... German art students who had their hair more down, and they went swimming and came out, and it was practically the same hairstyle as the Beatles have. So you don't realize that this is a Beatles haircut. Nice. So if I wore it down, I'd look like Blaine Capatch or Ringo Starr. We're <laughs> <laughs> the same guy. Yeah, fair Pretty enough. Much. You never see them together. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like the prestige. And neither, one, neither one of them sign autographs. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. It makes sense. Uh, I always liked that joke, you know, that you never see them together. It's like, well, in that case, my mailman and Elizabeth Taylor are the same. <laughs> you know, what, what kind of comic logic is that? <laughs> I heard she delivered mail in, in her later years. In her later years. Um, well, yeah, I remember the first time I ever worked with you was me, you, and Jimmy Pardo. Yes. At a club called KJ Riddles on yes. the south side of Chicago. And this is maybe 94. Uh, yeah. And you came out from San Francisco, and I think I was emceeing, and he was featuring, and you were the headliner. Yeah. And you were great then. You, know? <laughs> you were. You were. There's a few guys that you see them the first time, and they are fully formed and good comics from the get-go. I saw Brian Regan when he was a middle act, and he had like 30 minutes probably. Right. But it was the same quality. You know, just 30 right. minutes of gut-busting, like, wow, he's fully formed. Yeah. Really? Right. And, and I think we met, it was in Slapsticks in Baltimore. Yeah. And, uh I remember, you know, it was another These club. These sound like made-up names. I know, like, don't they? If you're yeah. not in comedy, you're like, that's yeah. not a... It's, yeah. it's not a club called Yuck Yucks. Like, come on. <laughs> another booker with a power trip. You know, they yeah. were all uh, back then. And uh, yes. I remember I, I had enjoyed your act so much that um, I had brought friends down with me then to see it again. 
but I got so overly excited, I was like telling them about your jokes, and then at the end of the show, like, you know, we would have enjoyed them a lot more if you hadn't told Ruined us about that. Yeah, what, you, what his jokes were. Yeah, I remember that was really, I remember it was really cold. I remember, too, this is such like the the vision of a young comic who hadn't traveled much and I was like oh how you flew in from San Francisco and you're like yeah I had to fucking change planes and all this and I was like what do you mean you got to fly to a gig and now as a road comic I'm like oh boy couldn't get it direct like but that is a turning point in your career when you start flying everywhere you do feel lucky and and then you start to complain a little bit like I was that time but I think I've played that club only once but for some reason I remember working with a guy Harry Tynaway yes yeah was he on that build like just dropped in or something he might have dropped in because I know he was on the the bill more than one show because I did something kind of mean to him Um, he had a thing in his act where a joke wouldn't work and he would ask the audience hey does anyone have a pen and someone would give him a pen and he would cross the joke out of his notebook Mm -hmm. you know so I got there early and I bought a hundred pens and I gave the audience pens as they came in I said I'm your headliner and when one of the other acts asked for a pen I want you to let them have it. And so they were gleefully sitting there with their pens, waiting to throw the pens at this comic. And he reaches the point where a joke doesn't work. He goes, does anyone have a pen? And this rain of pens, like, blocks out the spotlight. And he goes, ah! Like a girl. It was hilarious. But I made him squeal, so I felt kind of bad. You know, it was like, I'm just, I was just trying to, you know, it's like that camaraderie where you... And then you mess he had a heart with people attack. if you like them, you know. <laughs> and uh, and the fact that he squealed and embarrassed himself kind of made me feel like a dick. I um. So the next show, did you have everyone throw pens? At him? <laughs> <laughs> or did you wear a helmet? Yeah. Or um, well, the thing I I remember you told the story. Uh, it wasn't about Harry Times. It was about a uh, a young comic. It, it was. It, I still tell this story. You were, at, you were doing some show and the MC was some young guy who was talking about he had two hours of material and he was all amazing and bing, bang, boom. And you were like, hmm, okay. And uh, he went on stage and, and did 15 minutes and ate it. And he comes and sits at the bar all dejected and you said to him, maybe you should have done the second hour. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite ball busted young cocky comedian stories that I've ever heard oh god I love that yeah I mean I I had my moments where I was just kind of a dick but nothing compared to like when I started I mean one time I was sharing a condo with two other comics and they spoke Yiddish the entire weekend really? yeah they they completely iced me out you were in Israel (laughs) <laughs> so they speak Yiddish and like a dog I learn my name because it comes up you know in the opportune point where right. you're like oh that's me so it's like oh I'm the goy I get it yeah. you know? <laughs> so I mean it's like that wasn't really funny and wasn't really cool and only comics at the end of that weekend will say hey could you give me a ride back to uh you know, Richmond or something. Right. <laughs> you're like, why would I? You know? Right. And, and of course I did. Yeah. You know, you're starting out, you don't want to alienate anybody. No. You know? And we all have the starting out horrible condo with a fucking asshole or a lunatic story. Or yeah. having them in the car, driving them somewhere. Oh, you had to drive them in the car and they come play. Yeah. One time this fucking headliner, I did a couple gigs with him and he'd been around a million years and you know, he had some decent advice. Mm-hmm. But one time he just showed up at my apartment in Chicago, knocks on my door, and I'm like, like, you know, at the buzzer or whatever, hey! I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? 
I need a place to stay. And he just shows. It wasn't that bad, but he shows up and he's like, "Ah, oh, the place isn't that clean." And I was like, "Well, uninvited guest, uh, I had no time to prepare for this thing that I wasn't a part of. You showing up." And he kind of like came and then bitched and moaned. I was like, "What the fuck are you like? Go bother somebody else." And what was the point of you stopping by? Like, what did you? Yeah. What were you expecting? Like sandwiches or something? Like tea? <laughs> I don't know if it was you or not. I think it, it was. You had a business card that said something like Show Business Insider or something. And we saw each other in an audition. And you gave it to me. And I called and pretended to be this drunk guy. And I'm not like a character at all. I'm a terrible actor. But I managed to just impersonate someone that was kind of like a skid row type. And I was like, hey, man, I see on your card you're some kind of show business insider, and I'm wondering if you can help me and get my... Was, was that you? I left yeah, my heart, message. I think, said Chicken and, Face Productions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had my production company. And, and you were, like, calling everybody trying to figure out who it was. You didn't think of me because I'm not an actor. I was right. the only guy that only wanted to be a comic. And never know? had voices or characters or anything. No. But I, you... It was your perfect cover. It was. Yeah. I like, yeah, my whole life was preparing for this time. I've got him. <laughs> I, I was driving. I remember I was. I think I was twenty-one. I was driving back to a gig, driving a headliner back. I won't say his name, but uh, he was talking about how he used to be a drug dealer and all this stuff. And we're driving. I'm like, I don't want to hear your life story. And then it's quiet. Ten minutes later, he looks at me and goes, "Do you shoot heroin?" I said, "No, I don't." And he goes, "Good, you shouldn't." And then the rest of the conversation was over. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. you know what? I really want to drop you off now. Really? <laughs> well, that's, I've told this story a million times. I was, I was working in Milwaukee in the 90s, back when there were four full-time clubs in Milwaukee. Two of them had condos, I think. Mm-hmm. And one buddy of mine was working at the uh, Comedy Cafe, their condo, um, which is not there anymore, the condo, but the... It was a notoriously horrible condo, and he was working with some old haggard road axe. Mm-hmm. And we were in our twenties and been doing it three, four years, and we're starting to get work. and And uh, he was like, um, "We came, we went out drinking after our shows. Like we both meet up after our shows, and we're in the. Uh, we come back to the condo, and he's on the couch without his shirt on. I think I, I know I've told the story before, and he's just like." Let me tell you something, kid. He was one of those like, all right, kid. And we're like, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. And he goes, um, money, you can't trust. Women, you can't trust. Drugs, drugs you can trust. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm off the road. I'm moving to L.A. and I want to work in film and TV. Like, I, that like, is sound advice. You just yeah. see the future and go, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah, I worked with a funny bone headliner. They were like... They had so many clubs, even before they merged with the improv, that there were, like, indigenous species that only existed yes. on this little island. You know, the guys that only worked Funny Bones, and they played golf with the booker, yes. or whatever reason, they just worked <laughs> right. all 20 Funny Bones twice a year, and you never saw them outside of a Funny Bone. Right, and their you know? calendar was full. Yeah, and this guy was sitting on the, uh, on the sofa watching TV, and I got up at, like, 10 in the morning, which is pretty early for a comic, and he's drinking peach schnapps out of the bottle and it's you know like a, a little quart or something and um, with every sip he'd look over at me and go Tim Allen <laughs> open for me <laughs> oh. he would just go on with the list of people that had opened for him wow. and I just thought to myself man I am going to keep it quiet <laughs> when, when I you know in, in my later years about who has opened for me because everybody's got one of those stories sure, sure. You know? 
oh god so. that's just and you see those guys you're just like and then and then after you've been doing it a while any moment that feels like it could even be close to that you go ah nope Ooh, stop pull back stop you pull back whatever yeah. whatever it is mm-hmm. whatever like like I'm adamant about not staying in condos uh, like I'm just, oh yeah, I, I I've spent in, my own money. Like mm-hmm. if I have to, because I'm just like I can't. And the handful of times I have in the last couple of years, and there was some, I just always feel like. Yep, I, I was in one in Indianapolis, roaches all over it, and uh, the Booker very reluctant to put me in a hotel. Like no, you, you can't. This is not livable. Like oh no, the exterminator just put poison down. No, 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 no. That's no, they put down sugar cane. Yeah, yeah, you're putting me in a hotel. <laughs> but let's uh, let's get into uh, the movies. We want to talk. Okay. Uh, Lord Corette has uh, been a writer with us from the beginning. He has a specialty: rockin' movies. He enjoys the music in the movies. He enjoys them together, like peanut butter and chocolate. Yes. And he is an expert in rockin' movies. Now. Tell us, like, what your favorite types of uh, rockin' movies are. Is it musicals, movies about bands, or, like, what is it? What is your Docs favorite Docs about them, mm-hmm. or... Well, documentaries are great because somebody has gone through all the available footage if they have a budget right. and picked all the best parts. Right. So, you know, you get Woodstock, you get The Tonight Show, all the everything everyone's ever done, and you kind of get caught up on that artist right there, and... Um, kind of cheating when when you're reviewing, you know. It's like you want to find stuff for me anyway that's kind of off the beaten track or even like just done out of love rather than somebody like Scorsese who's got the money to do it right. right. Um, of course, it's going to be good. You bought mm-hmm. all those clips, you know, not to take anything away from anyone that puts together a good documentary, but um, the ones that I like the most tend to be the old ones where they just swept all the current rock and rollers into a pile and turned on the camera, you know, and it would be like the thinnest, like, script in place, the very little plot, and it's just to get you to the Gene Vincent performance. And they tended to be like a 90-minute performance, but in a lot of cases, they were the only color footage. You Like, I think The Girl Can't Help It is the only color footage I've ever seen of Gene Vincent. And, wow. Um, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. So, What are some more examples of that, those type of films? Um, well... There's a lot of them that Alan Freed was involved with before he wound up getting caught for um, Paola. Mm-hmm. And the odd thing was, it was like everybody was doing Paola, Dick Clark included, but they all dodged the bullet except for him. And he wound up like not being able to find work and drinking himself to death. But he was in tons of them. Um, and there's one with him and Chuck Berry, and Chuck Berry's playing himself, and they're talking. Well, actually, they're both playing themselves because he was well known too, and so they're in a uh, backstage area talking, and it, and it's just kind of hard to watch the um, the acting, but then you see them perform, and it's like there's Chuck Berry in his prime. What are some life. of the threadbare plot devices that they use to get them together? Uh, well, the best one of those movies, in my opinion, is The Girl Can't Help It. Uh-huh. It was in color. It has uh, Gene, Gene Vincent and. Uh, Eddie Cochran in it and they were best friends this is the Jane Mansfield yes it's got one of my favorite lines in movies Jane Mansfield's walking down the street Little Richard's is singing the girl can't help it she can't help it and as she walks down the street like guy's glasses are (laughs) 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 the milkman's delivering milk and the milk foams over and it's like you know milk spewing out of a bottle that's very uh, thinly disguised and uh, there's a little kid who went on to be be a famous actor and um, he looks at the woman he says Man, if that's a girl, I don't know what my sister is. 
And so, That's an awesome one. <laughs> yeah, and so a lot of those movies, it's like the plot device in that one is that um, Jane Mansfield's boyfriend wants her to be a recording artist. So he gets her to, uh, and he leans on this guy to manage her because he had helped um, Julie London. And Julie London makes a cameo, and even though she doesn't really fit in with the music, I mean, she's just amazing and gorgeous. And again, like some color footage of her in her prime. And her appearance is she's like a, a ghost haunting his his memory. That's why he drinks, you know. And oh, so wow. he's kind of he managed her, and he you know she moved on, and it's the one that got away. And she comes on and sings "Cry Me a River," her best song. Mm-hmm. And then um, Julie London, man, oh. like I, she was somebody. I only knew her as Dixie McCall from Emergency, mm-hmm. and was like in my. You know, Do you have a poster on your wall? <laughs> I had the lunchbox. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that, and then when I was in like, like my late 20s or 30s and my sister was... I went to my sister's, one of my sisters for like Thanksgiving and I heard this like sultry lounge voice. And I was like, wow, who's that? She goes, it's Julie London. And I was like, wait, what? I had no... I just such a... Obviously, I was turned on to her as a kid. Yeah. Um, but she is... Her whole album, or the, the one I have, is mm-hmm. just like... It's amazing. Crimea River is her thing. Mm-hmm. Her husband, um, I'm getting into my TV, 70s TV trailer, <laughs> was the guy who played Dr. Early, Joe Early. Right. And he like managed her career and all that. But anyway, and then I was just looking this up. Girl Can't Help It was directed by Frank Tashlin. It was basically just a studio guy who did, you know, Geisha Boy, Will Success Spoil a Rock Hunter. And, you know, he just did all of these, uh, he did all of these studio you know, Marry Me Again, Susan Slept Here. Like, he just cranked out two, three movies a year. Yeah. All of the same sort of boy meets girl kind of thing. Yeah, and those, they called them jukebox movies. And the the thing about them is you had to get all the acts when they were promoting their best stuff. So, like, you got Eddie Cochran in this movie doing 20 Flight Rock about the elevator being broken and he has to walk 20 flights to love his girlfriend. And by the time he gets up there, he's exhausted, you know? And then uh, Gene Vincent sings Bebopalula, you know? It's like three years later, it would have been a whole different movie because they would have been, you know, promoting a lesser single, you know? So it's like, it's the luck of the draw. And so you have Julie London doing one of her all-time best songs, Gene Vincent doing one of his, Eddie Cochran doing one of his, Little Richard wrote the uh, the theme, I think, or at least he recorded it. Because that's how, I remember, that's how that movie starts, Mm -hmm. is Jane Mansfield walking down the street, might be that scene you're talking about with the glasses, and it's just, I just remember Mm -hmm. that, I saw that on TV, and was like... And isn't her boyfriend in it, the Jane Mansfield's, because the, he, she was a bodybuilder. Was right, her. and their daughter is, uh, her last name is Hargitay. She's on some uh, nighttime Oh, yeah, film. yeah, she's on uh, CSI. Yeah, CSI. Now, did they do that same thing with, uh, like, say, the Elvis movies? Like, every time an Elvis movie came out, was there a tour or a new record that was coming out with it? I don't know. Um... I know that, like, the first Elvis movie, they, I think, might have been Love Me Tender, mm-hmm. and they were promoting Love Me Tender, you mm-hmm. know, so it makes sense. I think they knew what they were doing. Um, in a lot of ways, they did. Um, Colonel, Colonel Tom Parker is just seen as this genius, you know, right. and um, he made half of what Elvis made. Uh, which is a pretty good percentage. Yes. Um, but he was 50? actually... Yeah. He was actually, <laughs> he was actually kind of worth it, you know, mm-hmm. um, except for one situation. When I reviewed... Um, 
True Grit. I watched the first one and then I watched the second one. And one was taken from uh, the script and one was taken from the book. The book. Right. And I love the speech in the second one. I mean, I love to use old words like bedclothes. And my girlfriend laughs at me like I'm somebody's grandfather because I say <laughs> I changed the bedclothes, you know? And, but it's, it's full of that kind of thing. There isn't a contraction in the entire script. It's, right. it's all, I cannot do that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the liar Tom Haney, you know that yeah. kind of thing. Just then, yeah, like that's the worst thing you could say about somebody. He's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, excuse me, sir. Like, now let's talk about like rock and roll high school for. Oh, um, but I, let me just touch on oh, this wonderful bit of trivia that I ran across. Originally, in the Glenn Campbell role, they were wanting Elvis uh-huh. to play the um, Texas Ranger who goes along with John Wayne. But Colonel, really? Colonel Tom Parker asked for top billing over John Wayne in a Western. Oh my God. Which is like saying we want the Beatles to open for us in Liverpool. <laughs> 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 like, what? Yeah. So um, that would have gonna... been a whole different movie, and Elvis would have had a whole different career if that decision hadn't been shot down. You know, or, that or if Colonel Tom Parker had been a little more reasonable. Yes. And you I wonder mean, too, did that decision get to Elvis, or was that one of those things where it was like? said no before Elvis even knew the offer had come in. Yeah, and it was early enough that Elvis's movies weren't just ridiculous. Right. Wouldn't yeah. you think, too, if Elvis himself got the opportunity to, like, I get to work in a Western with John Wayne, he'd probably say, I don't care if my name's not above the title or whatever. I'll, well, I'll do it. Yeah. Well, that's always the thing everybody always asks about the Elvis movies is... There is the what if because Love Me Tender, it's black and white, it's pretty intense, and he sings that song. He dies at the end, and mm-hmm. it's him like sort of singing from the grave or whatever, and right. it's like it's intense. And Elvis, everyone always said, ah, there's a lot of factors here. There's Tom Parker. There's Elvis's drug problem. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's things. There's the fact that he's not really dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. He was he's sort of clueless. Yeah, I mean, there's a story that I heard uh, Dennis Hopper tell on I think Letterman, where he said, you know, I was seen as this counterculture guy so everybody that was crazy looked me up when they came to Hollywood Elvis comes out to do his first movie and he comes and he finds me and he's asking me questions about you know how do you do it when there's a a shootout scene you know and he was like well Elvis you know they use blanks and he's like yeah come on so Elvis thought they were shooting live ammunition at one another in the movies you know so I have heard that in multiple, you know, biography, whatever. Yeah. Elvis might not have been the sharpest cat out there. Yeah. Well, he, um, have you guys ever been to Graceland? Yes. Taking the tour? It's <laughs> unbelievable. Like, when you take that tour, first of all, there's lines that you would not expect. Right. That's the first thing. Like, well, there's a, how, where are all these yeah. people coming from? And he realized, oh, from all over the planet. That's yes. where they're coming from. Yeah. And you take the tour. And you get to see all the different rooms, and, you know, it says no photographer, of course, but everyone takes pictures anyway. And then you get to, like, you know, Elvis's gravestone, and people are just bawling. They're just, they're crying. They're still, like, mm-hmm. like it just happened. It's absolutely fascinating. Like, you don't see that kind of American iconography Basically, it's you know, global. That, that, yeah, well, global. He, yeah, it's true. He was, like, a global phenom. I mean, right. it was, like, insane. That's uh, that's still yeah. going on, and then it's. I love all the different like conspiracy theories. Like uh, there's everything from TV specials. He faked his own death. He's still alive, and you know there's um, you know footage of like that's him in the window. You know they have like the you yeah. know the ghost pictures or, or whatever. And the internet is full of it. If you really want to have some interesting reads, read all the different theories of how and why Elvis is still alive. 
Uh, but what? it was it was an unbelievable experience. Like I, I was never I never really grew up watching Elvis movies or listening to his music. But going to Graceland mm-hmm. was one of those experiences where like oh my god, this is like you feel it. You you just feel it because you feel it from all the people around you. What an icon he was. Um, there was uh, what did he have? Didn't he have? There was a kind of a documentary that MGM put out in the seventies. Wasn't it called Elvis My Way or something like that? Or hmm. or uh, God, I'm looking. I'm trying to look. I reviewed one for the site called Elvis. That's the way it is. Yes, and that was actually pretty good. Um, I think Ted Turner. Uh, got the original footage and, and recut it and did an, an updated version, which oh. took out a lot of the like really weird looking Walmart type people. You know how you see right. those, those people of Walmart yes. type yes. Uh, websites and stuff. These um, they were just people with, you know talking about Elvis and my na- my cat's name is Elvis and right. my daughter's <laughs> name is Elvis. <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh my god, yep. you know, this isn't very I go flattering. Three times a year, just if to I pay was my Elvis, <laughs> yeah, if I was Elvis, I would be going, hey, don't film him, <laughs> film that person over there. <laughs> no, that that is the documentary, Elvis. Yeah. That's the way it is. The reason I like this documentary, well, when you watch it with our today's eyes, mm-hmm. what's up? Um. Uh, because you see, knowing now that he it was done in 1970, so that's kind of when the probably when the drug thing was really starting to take over and the Percocets, and he had there's a scene where they're showing behind the scene footage, and he's like rehearsing, and these guys keep laughing, and he's like legitimately pissed off. He's like, "You jackals!" Ah! and everyone's like, "Ah ha, Elvis, it's crazy," but you can see like. That was the Elvis that probably felt trapped in his life, that had all these hangers on, who were probably... You know, there was those group of guys um, who who publicly said, he's got to stop with the drugs and we're, we're, we can't handle this, and, and Elvis felt betrayed or whatever. Right. But they were the only ones who were actually like trying to help him, because they were mm-hmm. like, this guy, we and love this guy. Yeah, the entourage and the enablers, because it's a meal ticket. It's a meal ticket, man. Mm-hmm. You can't have him get clean. He's got to get on stage and sell albums, so we all get paid. Because yeah. back, especially in the 70s, when he had that 40-piece band or whatever that he would go on tour with. Yeah. And you're watching the, you watch the documentary knowing all that, and it's pretty powerful. And it made me go, at least, when I watched That's the Way It Is. That's when I really had to, like, man... If he could have gotten out of that and had more control, but again, you had to you gotta be sharp to like get control of a career that big. Yeah. You gotta be a businessman. Yeah, and it's you, not easy I don't even, when it's a, that global giant, you know, machine. Billions of dollars I mean, whatever he's making a hundred grand a minute, you know, just from his albums and hound dog keychains or whatever, right. you know. Yep. And you can't even really blame the people who don't say something or or back off immediately. Because one, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who are um, struggling with addiction. And the quickest way to get shown the door is to insist. You know, so they probably thought, hey, I'll just hint around. I'll be here, be a positive influence and try not to get shown the door. But... You know what else am I going to do? This is this is a good gig. You know, so I kind of understand those people that weren't like saying, "Hey, don't do this." And I just reviewed a new um, Adam Ant documentary. It should be on the site now. Um, it's called The Blue Black Hazar, and I had to look it up. A Hazar is a Hungarian horseman. He's a, a soldier, 
And is he, that a man Hungarian? No, but he's kind of wearing the Napoleon hat. It's a leather hat with playing cards stuck in the band. And he's got like a leather Sergeant Pepper type, Hussar type outfit. And he looks really cool still. I mean, out of man, he's a visual artist, you know? He's a graphic artist. So, um, so he CG'd his own face, is what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> but in the case of him, uh, there's no mention in this documentary. They try to keep it current and not delve into the past too much but um, there's no mention of Marco Peroni who was his guitarist for 20 years and you know co-produced his biggest hit album and wrote all the songs with him and all that and it's just like doing a documentary about Mick Jagger and not mentioning Keith Richards once right you know, it's like he, there's so something missing you here. wonder what the behind the scenes of uh, well of I can't was. say definitively but as I searched because I spend way too much time researching things for my articles I always try to tie in a lot of trivia or review two movies at once and stuff right. and one of the things by the way it's not way across, too much it's what makes why <laughs> <laughs> your articles are good don't, yeah. So, yeah. don't apologize for being thorough yeah you're, you're so, doing fine <laughs> what I what I saw hinted at on the internet was that Marco was involved in institutionalizing him the last time because Adam has struggled with uh, bipolar disorder oh, for a long okay. time um, and like the documentary mentions that he was institutionalized against his will and uh, kept sedated they don't tell you the most imp- the most like interesting part of it is that he was hospitalized after throwing an alternator through a pub window wow I mean come on that's that's just fun yeah you know I mean? <laughs> why wouldn't you put that in yeah it's uh why not the starter it's just <laughs> you know, let's get this party started <laughs> It's right next to it, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not exactly... I'm not a car guy. I'm not a car guy. So speaking of being sedated, let's go to Rock and Roll High School. Okay. Uh, uh, Arguably one of the best rock and roll movies ever made. And the Ramones... What do you think is it about the Ramones, as great as this movie was, that they never really got their due? Boy, who knows? You know, I think it's a matter of... You know, Devo had an album called... uh, A Greatest Hits box called um, The Pioneers Get Eaten by the Indians or Get Killed by the Indians, you know? And I think that's the case. They were the first ones out and everybody, like, took what they did and ran with it to greater effect. And it's still happening today. I mean, Green Day Day is basically the Ramones. Right. It's the same basic pop-punk type stuff. Kind of cartoony, you know? Um... There was somebody... I was watching a documentary about a band from Australia called The Saints, and um, they were the only ones that were doing that kind of thing as early as the Ramones were. And um, they say that the lead singer naturally kind of wants to distance himself from that comparison, and he says, yeah, when, when I heard them... I thought, well, they're like the Archies. And there was kind of an Archies feel mm-hmm. to the Ramones because they all had the same last name, which was kind of goofy. They kind of had the same outfits they always wore. Uh, no guitar solos, no spoken intros. It was one, two, three, four from the bass player, and they went into the next song. So their concerts lasted like 35 minutes. People left wanting more. I mean, they, they got it. They, they weren't going to do the lengthy, no drum solos, no guitar solos. Let's just knock out good songs. Um, and they were crazy. Like, um, originally, Joey, the lead singer, was going to be the drummer. And so naturally, being the Ramones, they made him the singer. Because he was the only one who could play an instrument, you know? And everybody else learned their instruments, so they had this weird thing that they could only kind of play with each other, really, because that's how they learned. And so they became this weird little, you know, like, interlocking unit. And... Um, 
I don't think people really understood them. I mean, radio didn't play them. Right. Um, but yet, when they went to England, every city they played in, the Sex Pistols would spring up in one city, the Buzzcocks would be in the next. So they definitely planted the seed. They're the Johnny Apple seeds of that style. Oh, wow. And they don't get credit for that, you know? So um, I don't know why they didn't make it. Um, they had an album that Phil Spector produced that they hated, that I loved, and uh, <laughs> reportedly, I always love the album that the band hates. Iggy Pop has a band has an album called Party that he absolutely despises. I think it's one of the greatest things he's ever done. Uh, the Ramones did the one with Phil Spector and another one with a guy named uh, Graham Goldman who who wrote a lot of Herman's Hermits hits. And they were perfect choices because, again, they kind of have that Archie's quality. The Herman's Hermits, not that far from the Archie's, you know? And so it's a great album, and they hate it. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd go and see them live, they wouldn't play any of those songs, you know? Okay, oh, go ahead. I want to ask this though: Why do you, have they gone into specific, why do they specifically hated that album? Like, why the Ramones hated that album? Did they, they articulate why? Well, one reason is they were traumatized in the making of it. Um, Phil Spector held them at gunpoint, mm. by all accounts. Um, Dee Dee said that you know he was really ready to lose it, and he was the weakest link. He was a songwriter, and he was a heroin addict, so he was just ready to run and fix no matter you know if you gave him a dirty look or you pointed a gun at him. Same response, you know. I probably either trigger. Too. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a heroin addict. Was, I'd probably leave yeah. too if you pointed a gun at my face. Like yeah. if you, why don't you guys pull the gun on me now? I don't, I don't think I'd want to keep doing yeah. this podcast. I don't think I would finish the session. Well, it's, <laughs> it's New York. I do have a gun on. Me. Well, yeah, yeah. You say go point it in my face. I wave can. it around. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. be open about it. Yeah, We're yeah. old friends. Yeah. <laughs> I assume you're strapped. I assume you're strapped. <laughs> So, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, um, at the end of your chapter, when you do the 10 best rockin' movies, you mention Pulp Fiction and Animal House as rock movies in disguise. So... Explain that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think it's important to know that this came about because you said, hey, if you ever need an opening act on the road... um, I'd go with you. So we wound up in an, a, a comedy condo, actually a nice one, because we were like, I think the first act. There are a handful of that actually are okay. Yes. The key is to get in early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, yes. Before they get ruined. Like I played yeah. one club in um, Overland Park, Kansas, and the owner loaned me his Miata. And it's like, this is not going to happen yeah. the third week because I'm not going to, you know, put a dent in it or return it empty of gas. But yeah, the, but next the next guy, comic guy yeah. you know, so the next alcoholic tops. road guy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we got in on the ground floor. The apartment was beautiful. Yep. Um, the, um, it was in Florida, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ocala, Florida. And he said, hey, you should be the, um, the rock and roll movie guy. And I, I was like, you know who you need? You need Marshall Crenshaw because he just wrote this great book that I read about. And he was like, "No, no, we want comics. That's that's my nature." It's like you don't want me. You want Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I don't want to be famous. I'm, I'm more interested in getting the right fit. Yeah. You know? So um, I tried to talk him out of me. And yeah, he, yeah. He it, was, it was a reverse pitch. Yes. It was- so um, he he let me decide what rock and roll movies were. He was like, hey, if, if you'll do it, you decide. So the reason I can include them as rock and roll movies is that it's like the um, the music isn't grafted on afterwards. It's like part of the movie's genetic code. You it know? helps you tell watch, the story. Yeah, you watch Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It, those aren't just randomly chosen songs. They knew when they were writing the screenplay, this song is going to play in this scene. And, and getting music that 
some of it is sort of like not everybody knows who Dick Dale is, mm-hmm. you know, or I mean, some of it is, is songs we've heard a lot, but, right. but some of it is like. There's a song on the soundtrack for Pulp Fiction called Bustin' Surfboards, and I can't even remember the name of the band, and, and I'm the rock and roll guy. But, you know, like, I went out to um, some island out off of the... Co- Catalina Island off the coast yeah. of yeah. Los Angeles, and uh, the I band... I like you referred to it as some island. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. There's Buffalo. Have you heard yeah, of it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting to be like the guy in the old joke where uh, two old guys are walking down the beach, their wives are walking behind him, and... He says, so you went to a restaurant. The other guy says, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, well, what, what was the name of it? He says, boy, if you, if you help me out, I'll, I'll come, with, come up with it. But uh, uh, what, what's that flower with the, uh, with the thorns? He says, uh, a, a rose? He says, yeah, hey, hey, rose, what was that restaurant? <laughs> 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 <You know? laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can't remember the name of the band because they're pretty obscure, even by my standards. But, you know, they were playing on the beach, and it was a big deal, you know? Right. Uh, and it was because of Pulp Fiction, you know? And I think when the movie does have the, the songs, like, in that genetic code, it just propels the songs much further than they would. Uh, and, they, they have more impact than And then the song reminds you of the film. Mm-hmm. Yes. That that's I think that's the, that is that distinction. Yeah, that Chuck Berry song that's playing when the dance scene in Pulp Fiction. Those two things are linked forever. Oh yeah, um, and also, uh, well, specific to Animal House because it is technically a period piece. Mm-hmm. It is putting you in that that period. But but the uh, the shout song. I mean that like you know basically paints the whole. That is the template of that whole uh, film. You know what I mean? Because that summed up the whole thing. That was the toga party started. <laughs> that was all of that shit. The crazy. That's the first time I heard of that song, even though it was yeah. it was 20 years. It had been around for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and then that song also, when they see Otis at the black club, and it's like, <laughs> Otis, my man. And he just looks at him like, that was that's part of the film. Oh, yeah. Mind if we dance with your dates? Maybe we should be leaving. What a great idea. Um, Well, what are some of the... All right, so now in the ten worst part of your chapter... Yeah, it's been a long time. I don't even know what's in there. Uh, I will refresh your memory. Uh, Madonna, truth or dare? Oof. (laughs) Poor Uh, Warren Beatty. He he was just led around on a leash that whole movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Why Why does that movie bother you so much? You know, I don't even remember the movie, but I do know that I went to see it in the theater, you know? Expecting and, sort of... Um, I was curious, you know? I mean, like, right now, I just saw a magazine with Taylor Swift on the, co- on the cover, and it was like, Taylor Swift, you know, runs the world. And I said, you know, that's the way it should be. You know, it's better than when I was a kid when Madonna ran the world. You know, it's like, I feel better about Taylor Swift than I do Madonna. But there was this weird, like voyeuristic appeal to Madonna that even if you weren't a huge fan you'd go to that movie I'll read the one line that you wrote under it Madonna Truth or Dare 1991 Warren Beatty at his most pussy (laughs) wit and my other favorite one is Earth Girls Are Easy uh, for your 10 worst rockin' movies 80's music and fashion that makes a flock of seagulls seem timeless I ran (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a bad one and it had uh who is it? Julie Brown. Yes. In that one. Uh-huh. And, you know, 
I'm sure that there was uh, something to do with Julie Brown, but they never figured out what to do with her. I loved Home, right. uh, Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun and a lot of those parodies. Um, why did Weird Al go on to greatness and and her not so yeah. much? I don't know. Well, definitely, she had a career with MTV for a while, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it's when you look at like Earth Girls Are Easy had an interesting guest. I think Jim Carrey was in that movie too. I think uh, you're right. Yeah, a, and it was one of those things where here's a bunch of funny people that are up and coming. We're going to put them in this horrible movie, and it happened a lot. Uh, and they're like, oh, why do I didn't this do well? And unfortunately, when you're on the way up and you're in a movie like that, it can stall your career a little bit, for yeah. sure. I think Jeff Goldblum might have been in that, Yeah, too. he's in that. Yeah. Um, I think Damon, one of the Wayans? Damon Wayans, I yeah. think, is in oh, that, too. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so now if you just put all those names on a, on a cast list, you're like, oh, this sounds pretty good. But you wouldn't. But if you see this movie, you're like, "Oh my god, this is horrible." Yeah, unwatchable. Uh, yeah, um, and one of the other ones that is an unwatchable movie, regardless of whether it has anything to do with music or not, Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park. Oh, this is one of those weird, you know, anomalies of a movie where you go, "This never should have been made." How did this get made, and why are they dubbed? Yes. So tell us a little bit more about what you know about this movie. Um, well, there's, there's kind of a, a Ramones connection, because between the Ramones and Kiss, it's like Dee Dee, the bass player who wrote all the songs, was practically inarticulate. You know, um, Granted, he might have been high on heroin or something, but I think he had one line in Rock and Roll High School, which was, Wow, pizza! And he managed to make he managed to make that seem wooden, you know? and, and who doesn't get excited over pizza? Yeah. You know? So that the uh, counterpart in Kiss was Ace Frehley, you know, the, the spaceman. And I think the main reason they they dubbed them is they wanted a demon voice for Gene. They needed to dub Spaceman, and it's like we might as well go four for four. Um, but I don't know um, that that they were all dubbed or not. Um, but definitely uh, Gene Simmons has that ah, demon voice. <laughs> and um, I haven't watched it, but I ran across a copy of uh, Scooby-Doo Meets Kiss, <laughs> which would be a pretty good double feature, like if you were tripping. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, but you got to love Kiss. Which is what happened. That's how they wrote it. Those <laughs> right. guys got fucking yeah. on something and wrote, yeah. By the way, I have been in Vegas, and I did do the Kiss Indoor Mini Golf. We did that. It's, a, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Wow! It's all everything's blacklit, you know, and it's 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 what it's, the, it's what the the amusement park movie should have been, right? <laughs> should have been just a blacklit mini golf. You know, I love this band. I wish I could play it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the same week that you and I met in Chicago, there was a Kiss convention in Chicago, and me and Jimmy. That's Parker right. Went to the Kiss convention. Did you go to that? Uh, I think I I, you think I went with there. you guys because yeah. it seemed like I remember we just did. One day we were going to go tobogganing, and then we were like, we had all these activities we were going to do. The tobogganing thing didn't happen. And we went because well, you couldn't buy a kiss toboggan. Yeah, <laughs> you could. They still had a couple of the caskets, but yeah. they didn't have any toboggans left. It went fast in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, it was at some Radisson out in the middle of nowhere. It was yep. not like a fancy. No, I think they had Pete Chris somewhere. Yeah, you know that was the only member they could get. Somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before I want to, I want to go into some some one of your favorite biopics. But before yes. we do that, uh, let's talk about our sponsor, sponsor. Touch of Modern. Touchofmodern.com. Oh. Now we love the sponsor because it's we always have different things to to uh, promote for them because the content on the website changes. It's like being in like a secret club. We always say of stuff you didn't know you needed until you see it. 
Uh, like, I love the fact that they have different versions of, like, solar chargers. Like, especially, uh, we live in earthquake country. Uh, we definitely need to uh, get some survival gear, survival gear that uh, runs on the sun. But normally, like, the survival gear that's solar operated, it's just, it charges a battery or whatever, uh, um, a, uh, a flashlight. But these actually have USB ports, so you can actually charge them and then charge your other devices. Which this is, is really I'm cool. actually looking to get one of these because this is the, the thing from I'm noticing from traveling of needing power in various places. And, and a lot of these cool little... You can get several things. You can get um, basically just like an, uh, an extra battery, an extra charger, and you can let it... And it can charge in a, in a under a lamp. It can charge... You know uh, the sun, obviously, but then and it retains the charge for a while. yeah, it retains the charge, and you can charge if you get some of them have multiple outlets or like you're talking about, so you can right. charge multiple devices, and then you kind of always got juice for when the apocalypse. So you can get that. You're gonna and, need it and a survival knife. Yes, and then really unless nice someone hands. blows up the sun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah the good point. Good point. Or turns it red, so then Superman loses his powers. <laughs> <laughs> Blocks it out like Mr. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things these we, all, happen, we all have to sure. take under in, uh, into account. But um, it's going to be 99% sure that this thing's coming in handy. I think the yes. apocalypse. Definitely. Because if the sun gets blocked out, I'm not pretty sure human life's just about done at that point. True. Yeah. You don't yeah. need a flashlight. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, you won't. Unless you can eat it. Uh, <laughs> I'll turn it into a food source. So, uh, touchamodern.com. Um, make sure when you check it out that you buy the stuff you want because in a couple of days it literally goes away. New stuff every week. Uh, some great artwork. Love uh, love some of the stuff. There's always some kind of either Star Wars or pop culture. There's also stuff. cool bike accessories. If you're, yeah. like, I cycle a lot and there's always cool little helmets or lights or... Machine guns. Machines for machine guns. <laughs> for your machine gun cycles. So yeah. do that. Touchamodern.com. And if you refer a friend, just put it, you just type in an email, you get 20 bucks, and they get 10. Right. As soon as they buy something. Yeah. And also, we love what you guys have been tweeting, too. Like, when you get something from Touch of Modern, like uh, what it is. Uh, even Neil bought something. He's like, I didn't even know I wanted this, but now I want it. I think it was a mug or something. It's it's, it's really cool stuff. And it is geared uh, for a lot for men, but there are some cool stuff for women there, too. Um, what I love is the variety. It's everything from artwork mm-hmm. to survival knives, clothes, clothes, and shoes, and uh, and unique. Like they find cool. It's not right. just like oh shoes. It's like really unique, or did they were designed well, or or just stuff to like organize your desk. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like really cool um, containers for like I know it sounds ridiculous, but they literally have really cool things to hold your pencils. Yep. Like <laughs> so, and everything's discounted. So check it out. Touchofmodern.com. Okay, so I want to go into, uh, Lord, some of your favorite music uh, biopics. Now, mm. earlier before we started recording, you said you referred to it as biopic. <laughs> yes. It's weird. I have a good vocabulary, but I'm antisocial, as you said. I'm basically a hermit, and so I don't hear things spoken. So then when you I give a review than... of a biopic, is it then a biopsy? <laughs> Come on. Who likes jokes? GrahamElwood.com. <laughs> Well, um, one of my favorites is um, the one about the Runaways, you know, because I am a huge oh, yeah. Joan Jett fan, and it's just got it all, you know. And Kristen Stewart's in that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, she—that's that's one of her parts where you're like, you watch that, and again, that movie didn't do well, or wasn't like a huge release, which is a little disappointing because right. it was a well-made film. Yeah, and I, and, I, and it was—it's a great story. You don't have to—you oh, yeah. don't have to be fans of Joan Jett. Just to know how they came up and 
what they went through. And I remember in your review, you were saying there was some politics behind it where one of the uh, members got kind of shortchanged a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Lita Ford arguably had a career that rivaled Joan Jett's at one point. Yes. Not anymore. If I close my eyes forever. Yes, uh, with Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. Right? Which, which has a... Uh, a great single entendre in there. I forget the exact line, but it's something about, you know, I've got my love right here for you in my hand. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, nice. And um, anyway, so she was having hits um, after the band split, and Joan Jett was having hits, and it could have gone either way, but Joan had the longevity, you know? And then the movie comes out, and I understand that there was bad blood, that um, they were doing the script from the lead singer's book. Sherry Curry's book. Yeah. And so there might have been some issues with uh, Lita Ford where she did not want certain parts in there. But the the big glaring, like, F you in the whole thing was at the end of the thing, they're telling you every album that the drummer played on. And there's no mention of Lita Ford. Like, she never recorded again after it. And I think that's probably the only instance of Joan Jett not being cool. Right, yeah. You know, because she is, to, to me, one of the coolest rockers mm-hmm. there are. I just saw her uh, in her hometown for free about four months ago. Fantastic. Still great. Really? Yeah. The thing I love about Joan... She brought she, it. She, every time. I've seen her yeah. three different times, four different times. And I'm a huge fan. So um, I'm who that movie is made for, but I think it's a good movie, I don't, even yeah. if you're not. And, and the music has got all that glam stuff that she was influenced by. You know, she covered a lot of Gary Glitter songs, mm-hmm. and so those songs are in the soundtrack... And you kind of, I mean, the soundtrack alone is fantastic. And the thing I, it was, I always love talking about Joan Jett. She did a bunch of USO tours. I knew young soldiers uh, who were in like Afghanistan or Iraq, and they were like, "Oh man, I love Joan Jett." I was like, "What? How do you, twenty-two-year-old, know about Joan Jett?" Oh, she came to our base. Yeah, and I was amazing. like, "Wow, she's like in her fifties or whatever, just yeah. going into war zones and just like bringing yeah. it." I mean, that that's impressive to me. Yeah, she's just a rock star. That's right. Yeah, that's she's not a real like deal. a. Uh, that's not like just a comic going to do jokes. You have, uh, you know, you have a basically when a musician goes over, there's a bigger setup for that for this. And you're easier. You're loud, so it's you're a target. Right. Oh well, I didn't like think they shoot that, rockets yeah. at you because they. Know. <laughs> <laughs> what did What did you think of like Ray? Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. And it's always cool when somebody like him or Gary Busey, who's now, you know, like crazy as a shithouse rat, um, (laughs) when those guys, like, do the soundtrack and it's good. Yeah. You know? People don't realize Gary Busey was in a band called Carp. He was a drummer. And so he was a failed rock star, and then he got that role... And even though he was a hulking guy, you know, he went on to play bad guys yeah. in Lethal Weapon films. You're not, you know, five foot five. Like, Buddy Holly was not a big guy. But yeah. this big hulking guy managed to embody Buddy Holly. And I think because he was recording the songs, it kind of helped him get into that character. You know, you, you watch that movie and you don't realize that he's not, that he's a big guy. Right. You yeah. know, I, I'll tell you, one of the, my favorite scenes in that movie was... Um, when he's deciding to go with the bigger record label Mm -hmm. and the two um, guys from the previous record label, the smaller ones, they, you know, we kind of considered them family and stuff and it it was a scene where he really cared, like he didn't want to leave them but he knew he had to, he had a career to go to the bigger, uh, to the bigger company and uh, and he goes, you know, I made a lot of money for you guys and they just smiled at him like, yeah, you did, Ray. (laughs) Yeah, you did. Good luck to you. You know, so it was like one of those like, we made you. It wasn't like, fuck you, you can't leave. It was like a really 
amicable parting. And now I don't know how much of that is true or how much is that Hollywoodized, but it was it was a, it was a cool scene because it showed the characters of everybody in that scene. And I thought it was I thought it was really cool because it was kind of a turning point for him when he actually became he made, moved to the next level of so, superstar. Yeah, and some great character actors in there too. I love the guy who played the label head. I can't remember who the actor is, but mm-hmm. you know, just guys you see in everything. Well, it's like it's like uh, Walk the Line. Oh yeah, which again has a bunch of really um, Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, Joaquin. Um, I can actually pronounce that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Joaquin biopic. Um, yes. <laughs> well, the thing uh, that's uh, James Mangold uh, directs it, um, and then you've got you know you've got Jennifer Goodwin, you've got all these the guys that play the band, all the side characters. Uh, but one of my favorite scenes. Uh, is this character actor Dallas Roberts is playing Sam Phillips and when he comes in there and they play that first song and they're like playing some gospel oh my peace within and he goes just stop 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 Mr. Cash and Sam Phillips it's a young Sam Phillips and they shot it in the Sun Studios which I've been in there it's just this little room it's a little bit bigger than this one I mean it's it's, it's hardly room for a drum kit I almost didn't have drums on his song it's insane and you see the photos of like Cash and and Jerry Lee Lewis and Presley in that room it's it's, it's, if you're ever in uh, Nashville correct Uh, Memphis Memphis I'm sorry if you're ever in Memphis go to Sun Studios it's really cool so there's a scene that they shoot in that movie and Sam Phillips stops and goes, stop, stop, stop. And it's like, Mr. Cash, I don't believe you. And he's like, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't like, you don't like Jesus? Because you know what I mean. And, and Johnny Cash is trying to get like, You're, we're singing a gospel song. And, and, he, and, and Sam Phillips doesn't wince. Like he's got fucking 40 of these guys a day coming mm-hmm. at him. Make me, make me a record, make me a record. And he goes, Mr. Cash, I want to know one thing. Let's say you're dead laying in a ditch. And you're about to die, and you got God gives you one song to say about what your time on this life was all about. Is it going to be about the peace within, or is it going to be about something else? And then the, all the band guys, and and, and uh, one of the one of the band guys goes, "Come on." Let's get out of here. (laughs) We're done. We're done. We're done. And Johnny Cash goes, you got any problems with the Air Force? No, sir. Well, I do. And then he just starts playing. (laughs) Well, I feel a train coming. And he's just like, and you're like, and then the guys are looking at each other like, like they just chime in. And it's like, it's this great scene. And this guy... Uh, Dallas Roberts is just one of these guys you've seen in a million things. He's yeah. probably at a Nissan ad or something like that, too. Right. But it's such a scene where you go, oh, is that the way it happened? I don't know. But I like to think that Sam Phillips, who I've seen him depicted in many different ways, like in the Jerry Lee Lewis movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the guy that was in uh, Raising Arizona, who I love, mm-hmm. um, who says... He goes, you can't talk about that. You're talking about humping or whatever. And he's telling Jerry Lee Lewis, great balls of fire. Anyway, I, I, I love Walk the Line because there are all these great... Oh, and um, what's his name? Uh, Robert Patrick as his dad. There's that mm-hmm. scene where... Um, With the Terminator? Yeah, he is the Terminator. <laughs> yes. Um where he's only he's from Tennessee, so he's scarier. Yeah, he's more terrifying <laughs> as, as as Ray Cash. But there's that scene where they're at Thanksgiving, and he's like, 
and he he calls out Johnny. He's like, "Look at you, big pill popping rock star!" And he does it in front of everybody. And the woman that plays um, Reese Witherspoon's mom, June Carter Cash, whatever, mm-hmm. watch that scene again because they cut to to like she's I think in the side of the frame. They cut to Johnny like, "Oh my god!" And you see her, and she's like looking down at her food, shaking like this is horrifying that this man is talking to his son that way at Thanksgiving. There's all these little gems of performances in that movie that I would highly recommend. And when you read Johnny's autobiography, he wrote two of them. Um, That's kind of the relationship. His dad was just scornful and, you know, uh, it really damaged the whole family that his brother got killed. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, and and you can say Robert Patrick kind of blames... Mm-hmm. Johnny Cash for this, and that's like that starts that fight. And he goes, yeah, because he went fishing instead of helping his brother, and his brother, being the stoic kid that he was, yeah. just went to the mill and got cut in half. Right, and then yeah. he asks his dad, "Where were you?" Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, I quit drinking a long time ago, and instead of owning it, that's when he goes into that speech, just tearing off his. Ah, oh, it's, it's it's good stuff, man. Yeah, and the great thing about Johnny Cash is that he was very loyal to his friends. Um, Carl Perkins played guitar in his band forever, and I love Carl Perkins. I mean, he was writing hit songs for the Judds and stuff, you know, back in, in the eighties before he died. And um, touring with Johnny Cash is when he got sober. Oh, really? Uh, supposedly they stopped at uh, on a beach, and he threw a bottle into the ocean, and that was the last time he drank. So, yeah. Wow! Yeah. That's really cool, man. Yeah, Waylon, there's a guy that plays... Waylon Jennings' son plays Waylon Jennings in the movie, if I'm not mistaken, in Walk mm. the Line. I think uh, you're right. Um, Shooter Jennings? Shooter Jennings plays mm-hmm. his dad. And again, there's this great scene where he's like, how come the phone doesn't work? Uh, you didn't pay the bill. I paid the bill. That was last month. Yeah, this is this month. <laughs> it's just it's just a great scene of these two guys in this shitty motel or apartment in Memphis, just trying to get by. Anyway, yeah, I, I'm surprised part. nobody does a life story on Sam Phillips because if you look at the people who came through Sun Records, from Roy Orbison to Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. Elvis, I mean, the Paul shit, Perkins, the shit he had to take. Because uh-huh. he's in the South, and like, hey, you know, you're doing, you know, Negro music and all yeah. that shit that he had to go through. I would love to get a really in-depth story. I know, I've yeah. seen some made-for-TV movies and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. but I've never seen one about Sam Phillips. Or if there's one in development. It should be. Yeah. It should be. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, any uh, any other movies we want to add? Rockin' movies before we wrap up? Um, you know, just we touched on the Adam Ant one that I just reviewed. It's a mm-hmm. documentary, and um, it's mainly concerned with Adam today. They kind of don't go into the background at all. So if you're a fan and you want to relive his glory days, there's absolutely none of that. Really? Now, mm-hmm. now that's an interesting choice because he's well known for 80s music, for sure. Yeah. And it, it gets glossed over. They just basically say that he was institutionalized, and now he's um, you know on the road back. And it's great to see him. I mean, he's adamant. He's great still. Um, but you know, if you're if you're a fan from back then, there's very little in the film for you now. You know, um, huh. like I used to wear, still do, uh, leopard tuxedos on stage and stuff. And you know, you hit your like fifties, and you're like, wow, I'm I'm a fifty year old guy wearing a leopard tuxedo. You know, and <laughs> That's, um, this is when I should be wearing it. Yes. <laughs> 
and Adam Ant, you know, he's like 60 and he's dressed like a hussar. <laughs> I just like saying that word. And, uh, you know, he's up there shaking his tail feathers with um, these young girls. And again, I do way too much research, so I researched uh, the background singers. Like, how do you get a gig with Adam Ant? And one of them is in a um, burlesque troupe called the Satanic Sluts. Okay. And she's the granddaughter of one of the actors from Faulty Towers. Really? Yes, and her grandparents have, like, distanced themselves from her because she's done some porn and stuff like that, apparently. Uh, You know, I'm not... I don't want to go on record saying she's done porn, but bordering on porn, let's say. Hard R. Yeah. (laughs) Hard R. And um, so, apparently, um, Russell Brand and um, Jonathan Ross had a radio show on the BBC, and we don't get these kind of scandals, but they called the actor on his home phone and left messages for him on his answering machine saying that um, Russell Brand, who's an admitted sex addict, had banged his granddaughter. And, you know, urging him not to put a gun in his mouth and all these things, you know, just not even funny. When you listen to him, it's not funny. It's like two drunk, mean guys calling, and they don't seem to be drunk, you know? (laughs) They're just horrible. And, And you're listening to it, and you go, well, why on earth would you even leave the message? You just call and record the outgoing message. And then say anything you want and put it on the air and pretend you left the right. message. You still have the impact without giving like an 80-year-old guy a heart attack. Um, so anyway, that's one of his backup <laughs> singers. Um, it, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff uh, around Adam that, that they didn't touch on today. You know, that, that girl is only in a couple scenes in the thing. Um, the other one, Twinkle, is, is in most of the movie. And you know, Tell me the name of the film again. It's called uh, The Blue Black Hazar. The Blue Black Club. Blue I've, I've seen it called Adam Ant, the Blue Black. Where'd you Hazard. see it? Where's it available? Um, I had somebody approach me uh, because I'm a comedy film nerd and everybody wants their stuff reviewed by the film. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody sent me the DVD. Um, and y- you remember in the uh, comedy condo when you asked me to do this, my deal was I'm only going to review movies I like because yes. I don't want to crap on right. somebody's, like, two years of somebody's life. You yeah. Know? But when they send you a DVD, like I told them, look, I saw the I saw Adam Ant and the Romantics in '84. I am the audience for this documentary, so they right. send me a documentary, and now I kind of have to. Oh, review. cool! And I didn't really dig it, so um, I reviewed it anyway. I had to break my own rule. Yeah. But you know, you, you get you get in that position, like, well, do I be a dick and not review it, or at least right. you know, yeah, there's no such thing as bad review. Yeah, but I always just go, look, there's so many movies that I love. I'm not hard to please that I don't have to review the ones I don't like. So I hate it when you guys ask me to go see a movie or something. I'm like, oh, what if it sucks? You know? <laughs> All right, buddy. You just see movies you want to watch. Okay. Yeah. We'll, keep, we'll keep it at but that. Every once in a while, one slips through, and I will say Lord Caret's bad reviews of movies are some of the funniest. They're hilarious. <laughs> They're very funny. <laughs> Go to Comedy Film Nerds and read his reviews. Because it really has to get to him for him to actually go to that place of like not liking the movie so when it comes out man it's hysterical <laughs> well thank you uh, if you read uh, his review of Rabbit Hole you'll know what I'm talking yes. about yes oh, yeah. that's very funny <laughs> again one I did not want to see yeah. you guys said you need somebody to see Rabbit Hole you're the only one in New York yeah. and I'm like okay I'll go see Rabbit Hole <laughs> um so what else uh, are you are you doing much stand up now or not really? Yeah. Um, these days, I uh, on my website it's listed as sober companion, comedian, writer because that's the order in which I earn my income. <laughs> uh, I am basically a Lucy Lou. 
Um, I go into uh, somebody's living area with them after they come out of treatment. Oh, wow. And for, you know, anywhere, anywhere from a ye- like a month to a year, I get them to incorporate what they learned in treatment in their life because a lot of these people are well-to-do and they have been to treatment 15 times and it hasn't taken. And the reason is they, they leave what they learned at the door. They go into the house and they go, well, I've just been in treatment for 28 days. I'm just going to kick back for a while. But it's a one-day-at-a-time program. So you got to hit the ground running and go to the meetings and do the things you got to do. And that's my job is to get people locked in. And like Lucy Lou, occasionally I solve a crime. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you solving crimes out yeah. there in the world. What, what is like the title for something like that? Is that really Sober, Sober Companion? Sober Companion. Um, another thing that I do um, is transport people. So I'm a sober transport. Uh, uh, sober trans like Jason sober- Statham like in the yeah. truck of the car exactly. while the Chinese mafia I'm a sober in. escort in those cases <laughs> not a sober transport so and I escort people from you know like their their bender that led to the intervention sometimes I take part in the intervention and I take them to treatment and my job is to get them past all those bars in the airport sober wow. and then I get them to treatment take them right to the door turn around and take a flight back so, wow. Um, it's so much like being a comic because if you think about it, um, like we were saying, you wind up giving somebody a ride or mm-hmm, touring right. for three weeks with somebody and they're riding in your car. Yeah, so you but have to form a connection quick. It may be somebody that you're but that's inclined. A, but that's a nervous favor. This you're at least getting paid to do. <laughs> True. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're forced to make a connection with somebody quickly. Right. They may be somebody that you have um, a natural connection with or somebody you have nothing in common with. And um, you got to be ready to grab a suitcase and, you know, go immediately. Just like when you get a call and they go, hey, the headliner, uh, you know, is in jail. Yeah. And we need you to get to Denver immediately. And you got to grab a bag and go. So there's that element of it. And um, you're dealing with personalities that, you know, that what every comic seems to be an obsessive. You know, to yeah. get good with comedy, you have to obsess about it. You have mm-hmm. to watch everything that came before you so you don't repeat it. And you have to keep current and you have to work constantly. And, you know, it's like an 18-hour day being a comic, really, because you're always working in your head. And um, the people that I work with in this field are a lot like that, too. Right. You know, and so um, the personalities aren't that different. Um, I'm with them for extended periods. And you do wind up making a connection and um, unfortunately role modeling which is nothing I'm comfortable saying that uh, my job is to be a role model Uh, but also too I think you know as a comic you know this you have to have kind of a different different personality yeah and you deal with a lot of extreme personalities and we all sort of have extreme aspects of our personality so Someone who's been nine to five jobbing for all these years, I don't know that they could make this transition to what you're doing because, right. I mean, half of being on the road is dealing with addicts anyway. Because that, <laughs> either, or being one, or being yeah, it's either your addictive behavior or everybody else's. Or you're surrounded by it. Or you're yeah. surrounded by it. So it, it it does sort of make natural sense. It's a, it's all of the road comic stuff without the actual show at night. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and um, you wind probably up- better pay. <laughs> yeah, it is better pay. Yeah, that's true. And you wind up, like in some situations, I'll be with somebody's family. You know, um, in, in one case in, uh, in mine, there was a uh, teenage son, and he wanted to write and uh, just put music out. There's a guy that he was a huge fan of called Pat the Bunny. Who, mm-hmm. His stuff's really good. It's kind of gypsy punk. Mm-hmm. It's got accordions and weird instrumentation, but it's punk rock. 
And that guy... The, the name obviously taken from the, the children's book. Yes, and children. Pat the Bunny does not want to be a, a big star. He's in recovery, so it's the perfect role model for this guy to have, uh, and, and myself in addition. And um, so he wanted to just post stuff online that he had recorded like Pat the Bunny does. And what people do is they contact Pat the Bunny and go, hey, could you do a house party? Um, and then he will come and crash at your place and perform and, and go back. I think he lives in Baltimore, you know? So that's what the kid wanted to do. So how do you get the kid away from the, the negative people that he's been hanging out with and into something new? And I found a coffee house that um, had no alcohol and they had an open mic night. So I bring the kid down. I oh, stay wow. with him. He performs. He's like, yeah, this is what I want to do. you got to find a way to invest the person in a sober lifestyle. You can still do the things you want to do. Even rock and roll doesn't have to have the drugs connected to it. Right. They're going to be there, but you can also avoid it. I mean, look at us. We're in a coffee house with no drugs. And so um, in that case, I stayed with the entire family. And you wind up being the the uh, therapist for the entire family Shit. because the son will be like my parents are like this and then the mother comes down and she says my son is like this my husband's like that and the husband comes down my wife is like this my son is like that and you just listen a lot and it's really good for you you know I, I'm in recovery myself that's mm -hmm. why I'm a natural for that and um, you know being of service is a huge part of, of recovery of being in right. recovery and the strange thing is that I've learned is even though I do it basically for a living now, I have to do it for free as well. Like I have to go to meetings, yeah. find the most downtrodden, you know, scared. Yeah, and sponsor people. Yeah, but kind you know, just ask a guy to coffee and, and listen, just like right. I do in the in the kitchen on on jobs where I'm working with an entire family. You know, mm. so um, it's good for me in that sense that um, it's kind of like a lot of cases. I mean, I'm trained. Um, in New York City, the accreditation is a CASAC, a Certified Alcohol and Substance Abuse Counselor. And until you take the test, you're a CASAC T. So I am in training, a CASAC okay. T. But you have a lot of training to do that. And um, what I find is that you learn everything in the field. You know, you got the basics with your formal study. And then you go into the field and you work with therapists and they, they just make a statement like, you know, there's only recovery and relapse everything you do is either going toward relapse or going toward recovery and you're like that is the best way I've ever heard it put right. and so you add that to your bag of tricks so you're learning the things you need to know in the field and um, what I find is that a lot of times I'll be stumped it's like something I haven't encountered or I haven't learned and I'll have to like turn it over to my higher power so as the person's talking to me I'm like I don't know what to say here I could really use some help and the answer comes yeah. And in that case, it's kind of like when you siphon gasoline from one car and put it in another. There's some gas left in the hose. You know, so I'm the conduit, and mm. I feel great, and I have a little spiritual boost uh -huh, because cool. I, I turned it over to something else. Like, I don't know what to say here. And then, boom, you think of what to say. So um, it's, it's a really rewarding career in a way that comedy wasn't, you know, I mean, um, and I still do 12-step conventions and things like that. And in honor of disappearance, I, I just gave that as my deadline to revamp my website and include all these things. So one of the things I do is, um, you guys know I'm a graphic artist because I designed the first Comedy right. Film Nerds logo. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I make memes. And, you know, a lot of them are... You've seen the memes. Uh, they're just a, a funny photo, usually from a movie or something, and then a caption. Is that how you pronounce the memes? 
<laughs> Maybe you do. Do you? <laughs> so anyway, I have a meme of the day on my website. And, um, you know, some of them are recovery-based, but most of them are just irreverent and mm-hmm. uh, borderline uh, safe for work. I try to keep them safe for work. Got and, it. And keep the other ones for myself. So where, where is the, what's the website? Where can people find Lordoflaughs.com. Nice. Yeah. Cool. And guys, uh, if you get the, if you don't know already, uh, we just had him sign a bunch of comedy film nerd guys yes. in movies. So uh, there's ten rare Lord Corrette. It's the top signature to track yeah. down, yeah. guys. So I rarely come out of the bunker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we got him out of the bunker to sign ten books, guys. So if you want to buy the comedy film nerd guide to movies, uh, there's a good chance, your chance. A good chance to get Lord's signature on it. Um, well, thanks a lot, man. This was a great episode. It was great. It thanks. was a long time coming. Glad we could finally it's get it so done. It's so cool that you've been helping us out since day one. Yeah, we really it's appreciate really it. It's really been a cool thing. And I uh, want you to come out to L.A. sometime. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. If you come out. Um, so we'll go to lordoflaughs.com. Uh, and, of course, ComedyFilmers.com, guys. Is spend $20 with us once a year. That keeps us afloat. Yes. And, uh, you know, more shows and everything else coming up. Got a lot of cool stuff coming up. And, uh we, uh, we'll do more spoilers. we got some cool stuff coming. And remember, we have the new Comedy Film Nerds shirts in the store, as well as Thrilling Adventure Hour uh, gift packs and uh, DVDs. And, of course... And what about the movie today? Uh, earbuds. Today? Uh, yes. Yeah, that's... We've... By the time this releases, yeah, it's... We'll have screened it for Squarespace. We'll have screened it for Squarespace, and then, uh, yeah, we've submitted it to some festivals, so we'll hopefully be announcing... We may have even heard by now. Who knows? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, but we'll be... When we get into big festivals, we'll let you guys know, and, you know, some point, you know, mid to, you know, summer or fall of, of 2016, we'll be taking the movie out and having it available to you guys and get you your Kickstarter rewards and all that. I know some of you Kickstarter people are like, man, where is it? And, you know... It's been a bit delayed. It's been a bit delayed. It's it's, it's on the way. The reason it's delayed is not because the movie's getting fucked up and we don't know what we're doing. It's that we want to pursue the festivals and distribution and we can't send out the movie until those deals are done. Right. So we don't want to get in the it's way. It's not going to interfere with your Kickstarter rewards. Don't worry. You'll, you'll definitely still get them. Yeah, it won't be like the Garden State prequel. Or right. Um, so that's it. That's won't our wish sh- I was here. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's our show. Thank you once again to Lord Corrette for being on the program. Uh, my name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember... Han shot first. I want to be sedated. <laughs>